Well, uh, we're, we're here. We, we're at the end of our study. Uh, we, have, um, we have been going through this story of uh, Moses and his encounter with God uh, at uh, the burning bush. And, um, and we have been uh, looking to see who God is. We've been talking about um, having a relationship with, uh, with God and how important that is and how that, and how that tends to work. Um, when you have a relationship with somebody, that grows the more time you put into it and the more uh, shared experiences you have with one another. Uh, as, as those things increase, uh, so will your relationship increase uh, as you love one another uh, through knowing one another and through experiencing things together. And it's no different with our relationship with God. The more and more that we spend time with God and the more He does things in our lives, He draws us closer and our relationship with God should grow. Um, and one of the things that we want to try to do just as, as Christians, as people who believe in God's Word, is we want to try our best to get to know God. And God has afforded us the opportunity to get to know Him through His Word. And so when we come, as we come tonight, we come to God's Word. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to the book of Exodus. As we wrap up the series here, Exodus chapter 3 we, um, I will give you the, uh, the Joshua Jimmy version of the passage here, and we won't read the whole thing, but we know that, um, we know that Moses uh, was tending a flock, um, and he was walking and going and doing uh, his normal daily routine, and he, he sees this burning bush, and the bush is not burnt to a crisp, it just stays burning, and so it intrigues him, as it should. Um, and he walks over, and all of a sudden he hears this voice, the voice of God um, telling him uh, to, to stop. This is holy ground. He says, I am the God of your fathers. Uh, stop. And it says Moses was afraid. Uh, and the Lord tells Moses, hey, I have seen the affliction of my people. I hear their cries. I see what's going on in Egypt, and you are going to go and get them out of Egypt. And Moses says, no, 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 no. Uh, who am I, God? I, that's, not, that's, not, that's not me. You know, what would I even tell the people if I agreed to go? And he says, you tell them that I am sent you. Yahweh, uh, the Lord, has sent you. And what we've seen from this story has been pretty remarkable. We have seen some, some really cool things uh, through our journey here in Exodus chapter 3. We've, we've seen that God is eternal. And he is unchanging. That, he, he, that, that, that name, I am, means that he, he was, he is, and he will be. There is no beginning and there is no end to God. He is eternal. And he is unchanging. And, and this God who is eternal, he is unchanging, he wants to know you. And if that doesn't blow your mind, it should. Because the God who created the heavens and the earth wants to have a relationship with you, and that's really great news. And then we learn that God is holy, that, that, that God is holy and there is no one like him, that God's holiness 
refers to his otherness. Like he is not a list among many. He is on a list of his own. Uh, We try to compare like our love to God's love and we can't do it because God is not like us, not in the slightest. And so he is on his own list by himself. He is the one and only God Almighty. And his holiness suggests his perfectness, how he is perfect in all that he does. And then the challenge was, since God is holy, he has called us to be holy. So that means that you can't just live your life however you want to live your life, and God's going to be okay with it. No, no. We have to live our lives pursuing holiness, not perfection, but we're going in that direction of holiness. And then last week, we talked about how God is love and how it's not his essential characteristic, because we talked about his holiness is his essential characteristic, but God's love is a main characteristic flaunted all throughout the Bible, and it's one that we enjoy the most, God's love for sinners like you and for me. And so we talked about how how we shouldn't elevate God's love above his other characteristics, but God's love is really important to us because that's the start of the gospel, for God so loved the world. And so uh, it's really cool to think about that God loves you who brings nothing to the table. So today, we're going to wrap up with one more really great truth from God's Word. Um, uh, Have you ever been scared before? Like, not like a jump scare, not like scared of because of circumstances, but have you ever been like jump scared before? Like someone comes out of it, like pops out of nowhere, and you are like, like freaking out? Uh, well, I got a video for you. This is uh, 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 Taylor Swift is getting scared here, and I think it's quite hilarious. So I'm going to uh, try to show it to you here. All week long, we've been scaring a bunch of our guests. Yesterday, Taylor Swift was here on the show, and uh, I love doing this. Um, we sent her to a fake dressing room where I was hiding. We put some hidden cameras and uh, told her to go look at something in the bathroom, a picture of the two of us, and uh, I scared her. <laughs> Oh, man, it's so funny. It's so funny. And uh, while I don't agree with Ellen DeGeneres at all, she does some funny things on her shows. She's constantly scaring her guests. And I went through and I was watching like a, a compilation of, of how, how she scared her guests. And it's very, very funny. And you get all kinds of different reactions. You got people who just sit there and take it and don't even move. You've got people who, like Taylor Swift, will fall on the ground out of, out of fear. You have people who will swing at the person that scared them, you know, in self-defense because they don't know what else to do. Uh, and, and none of us like being frightened like that. None of us like that. I remember working at Chick-fil-A, and uh, uh, we, would, uh, we would hide in the freezer and wait for someone to come in, and we'd be like, ah, you know, and, and, and we'd the thing about it is, is that it's an expectation, right? You go into some place you've always been, and you don't expect anyone to be there, right? Um, and all of a sudden, boom, there's something there. There's something going on, and you are uh, scared out of your mind, you know? Um, uh, we're frightened because someone is suddenly in our space that we did not anticipate, and their presence is startling. Uh, and so um, uh, what if you turned around and God was there? What if you turn, think about this. What if you turned around and God was there? I think 
once you were able to remove yourself from the initial shock of that and to look back at it, you'd be like, man, that was really cool. I'm so glad that God revealed himself to me in that way. But in the moment, you would probably respond like everyone else does in the Bible. You'd probably be insanely afraid, right? Uh, Moses doesn't even see God. He hears the voice of God, and he hides his face in fear. And then you look at the Christmas story and all the angels that appear to all the, the different people. And one, it startled them. They weren't expecting to see an angel, right? And then I couldn't imagine seeing an angel. And, uh, and all of them were afraid, and all the angels said, do not be afraid, <laughs> you know, because the, the people who saw the angels, they were afraid. They were terrified to either hear from God or see an angel from God. But here is the crazy thing, is that God is near to us. In fact, right now in this room, at this moment, God is in this space. His spirit is here with us. And rather than being surprised or shocked or falling on the floor, screaming and, 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 and wavering around, we should be excited. We should be excited that God is in this place, that God is here. It shouldn't catch us off guard when the Spirit moves on our heart and does something. We should expect it. We should know that God is here and God is with us. So we're not going to read the whole uh, narrative, but I do want to look at verses 7, 8, and 12 here in Exodus chapter 3. So let's look at verse 7 first. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up from a land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Drop down to verse 12. So he said, I will certainly be with you, and this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. <clears throat> what we see here is something that's huge. You know, a lot of times we read the Bible, like especially narratives in the Bible, and we just, we, we like, beginning, middle, end, let's move on. And we, we forget to stop and just think through these things. Like, if you were just to read verses 1 through 15 here in, in Exodus chapter 3, a lot of times we don't stop to look at all these little intricacies to find out what's going on and, 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 and who God is in all of this. And I find it fascinating that hearing just 15 short verses, that's just a story. It's just a narrative of Moses walking up on a bush, talking with God, and then moving on, right? That's the narrative story here. But there's so much packed in here that I think a lot of times we miss this stuff. We miss that, that God, the God of the universe, says, I have seen my people, I have heard my people. I have come down. All of, these, all of these clues, all of these phrases lead us to understand that God is with us, that God is with us. And we think about God. What else could he do? Well, God could be a God who is distant. He could be a God who is uninvolved in people's lives. He could rule from heaven and not have any part in our affairs. Because uh, he's God. He could do whatever he wants to do, right? But God is a God who remembers. Rem God remembered his covenant with Israel. He remembered his promise with Abraham. And God is always faithful to keep his promises. 
So tonight, the first thing I want us to see is that God is near to his people. God is near to his people all the time. Um, We see it over and over again in the Bible. In fact, if you think about all the way back in Genesis, when it all began, look look at what, um, I'm going to throw it on the screen here, but Genesis 1.28 and God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds in the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. We think, oh yeah, I've heard that, I know that. But did you miss it? And God blessed them and he said to them, which means God was physically there with them, speaking to them like I'm speaking to you now. God was physically there. Not only that, look at what it says later in Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. And Adam and Eve, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees in the garden. They heard his footsteps. They, they heard his footsteps. They heard his voice. They interacted with him. Think about this. When, when God had a blank slate, right, and he created all this stuff, and he created Adam and Eve, and he put them in the garden, God was physically with them in the garden before sin, before the serpent, before all of that. Adam and Eve got to walk side by side with the God of the universe. Man, that is cool. And then we read, it doesn't just stop there in in, uh, Genesis, but it keeps on going in Exodus. And, And Exodus 13, 21 through 22 And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. So if you remember the story, right? Moses does go get the people. He gets them out of Egypt, and he makes a beeline to Canaan or Israel, this this land that God had promised them. They get to the land, and he sends the spies in, and uh, 10 out of the 12 come back and say, nope, there's giants there. Ain't no way. We're not going to be able to overtake it. So God says, okay, that's fine. All of that generation is going to die off because I'm going to have you wander around the desert for 40 years. But how did they know where they were going? And this is something that's really cool, something I didn't learn until I started youth ministry, is they knew where they were going because they followed a cloud that represented the very presence of Jesus. And so here in Exodus, we see in the day, it was just a normal cloud, and in the night, it was a ball of fire, Uh, it was a pillar of fire. And so as the cloud moved, whether it was day or night, the children of God moved. And then when it stopped... They would set up camp, and they would set up all their stuff, but they would also set up the tabernacle, the house of worship. And what was cool is when they set up the house of worship at certain times, the cloud would actually come down over the house of worship, uh, and, and it was a visual representation that God is with his people. That was pretty neat. Right there, God is with his people. And then we turn into the, the New Testament. We turn into the New Testament. Oh, uh... I guess I don't have it here. The New Testament, uh, Matthew, is this it? No. Matthew, um, in Matthew it says that Jesus was the Son of God born into the world. And so what do we have? We have God in flesh dwelling amongst his people, with his people. Every time we see this, we see that God has always been present with his people. He's not far from us. He's not distant. He's immediately involved in our lives. You know, but sometimes it feels like 
God is distant, doesn't it? Sometimes, you know, we, we, might, be, we might be praying and praying and praying, and we just we don't feel the presence of God. We feel like we're just praying to a wall. No one's listening to us, right? Sometimes we, we, we need God to do something. We need God to pull through, and we don't feel like he's close enough to meet our needs. Uh, you know, there, there are amazing stories on the internet <clears throat> of people losing and then finding things. People losing, like, a class ring, and then it shows up 50 years later while they're, like, rum, rum, rummaging through stuff, right? Or, uh, or like, a dog that gets lost during a, a move from one house to another, uh, and then uh, hundreds of miles, homeward bound. I don't know if you guys know homeward bound, but hundreds of miles, they traverse the terrain, and then somehow they find their owner who has moved into this, uh, this new location. Um, we lose things all the time. And a lot of times we accuse people of losing our stuff when, in fact, we lost it or it's right where we put it. <laughs> and we just don't know, we, don't, we forgot where we put it. Uh, I remember uh, being in high school and uh, I just got my actual driver's license, had it for, you know, a couple of months or whatever, and had come home and uh, my brother was playing basketball in the front yard. So I, you know, threw my keys in my car, threw my wallet on top of my car, we played basketball. Uh, for like an hour or so, I don't know. Uh, but I, know, I remember it being a, a long period of time. And I went inside, got some water, trying to cool off a little bit. And my dad says, hey, I need you to run to the store. And that was my thing. Like, you know how to drive? Perfect. You were going to go run some errands. And, um, and so I went to uh, the, the store uh, to go grab a couple of things for, uh, for, my, for my dad and uh, went to pay for everything and reached for my wallet and realized, I don't have my wallet. Oh, no. Where is my wallet? And so I had to, you know, so embarrassing. You have this, you know, I didn't have a lot of stuff, but I had stuff, and you got to tell the cashier, sorry, I don't have my wallet, so I can't take any of this. Uh, so I'm walking back to my car. I'm trying to think, why don't I have my wallet? Where is my wallet? And, and you know, it's, it's in that time where you feel like, man, I've lost something that's really important. Um, I feel like, you know, you, you, you feel kind of in distress because something uh, that you need is missing and is gone, and you can't remember where it was. So I get in my car, I'm sitting there, and I'm like, man, I'm just trying to think, and then it dawns on me. Oh, man, I threw my wallet on top of my car to play basketball. So just for kicks and giggles, I get out of my car to look, and it is still on my roof. I have no idea. I mean, I didn't drive very far, you know, uh, but it was still on my roof. So I was able to get it and go pay for the stuff and then go back home. But, you know, a lot of times we feel like we've lost something. We feel like, you know, we're in distress because this or that is out of whack, but God is with you even when you don't feel his presence. You know, our feelings lie to us. Our feelings tell us something, a lot of things that aren't actually true. And just because God doesn't feel like he's close doesn't mean that he is not close. In fact, David writes in Psalm 46.1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. God is always there. Another version says ever-present. He is always with his people. And because of that, it should be a tremendous comfort for us to know that even when we don't feel like God is close, even when we don't feel like God is listening to us, even when we don't feel like God is moving at our speed or our pace, we can know, we can have confidence that God is with us. But 
But how? Like, how is God with us? What are some ways that we see God with us? Well, it brings us to the next point. God is near in his spirit and his word. Here's the cool thing. When you have experienced true salvation, true saving faith in Jesus, uh, the moment you're justified before Christ, you get a gift. And that gift is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit comes to reside in your soul so that it could help you live the Christian life. Uh, And so when we think about God is near to us in his spirit, the spirit always points us to God and, and, and Jesus. Look at what Paul writes in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 through 6. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. This is so, this is, this is so cool that, that when you accept Jesus, when you have the genuine, real, saving faith in Jesus, then you become part of the family of God. You are adopted as a son or as a daughter of God. And, and Paul writes it this way uh, because he's writing to the Roman understanding of inheritance, that the firstborn child in the house got all the rights to the father's estates. Uh, or the father's estate. All the privileges, all the love, all the favor, all the promises of care and provision would go to the firstborn. And so what Paul is saying is that we are to God like the privileged eldest son in a household. All of the promises of God are ours, but that's not all that Paul says. Don't miss what it says in verse 6. Verse 6 says that the Spirit of God God himself works within us, leading us to God. God sent the Spirit of God, um, his Son, into our hearts, and that's the Spirit of God that lives in us cries out, Abba, Father. It's a personal, loving relationship with God that's made possible through Jesus and the power of the Spirit. The Spirit, is, uh, the Spirit in us opens the way for us to be in contact with our Father God. We also see this in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. In him you also, when you have heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. God is near to us. His spirit is in us, and that spirit is a seal. And the word seal here means a promise. The spirit is a promise that God is with us today and will one day be with us in heaven. Um, this is really awesome. This is, this is really transformational to know that you and I have the Spirit of God living inside of us, pointing us to God the Father, and, and He is the promise that God will always be with us. Um, I don't know if you guys uh, like have favorite celebrities or favorite musicians that if like they popped out of nowhere and showed up at your house, you'd be like, oh, wow, this is really cool. Uh, so-and-so is here. Um, but it's funny to watch people's reaction uh, when, when they meet somebody famous or someone that they really like, you know? And so uh, this is a very long video. We're not going to show the whole thing. But I want, you to, I, want, I want you to see the reaction of some of these people as they meet some celebrities and, and and let's see what we can learn uh, from, from them. Hey, 
Can I hug you? Yes, of course. You guys like just all four? You know, um, it's funny, when people see someone famous, someone that they really like, that they never thought would possible for them to see, sometimes they can go a little crazy. They can freak out. And, and you know, in all these, those, those little clips you saw, someone had to go hug him. And, and they're like, oh, my gosh, you're And uh, um, I think a lot of times we think that about whether it's famous people or whether it's like a family member you haven't seen in a long time or, or whatever, we think, man, if that person comes back into my life, man, I'm just going gonna, gonna to freak out. But we don't feel the same way about God sometimes, right? God is here. God is near. God is always with you. And we never really freak out that God is with us. We never really have that like, Oh my goodness, Jesus is here, God is here, you know, but the, the fact that God is with us, it, it, it should lead us to worship, it should lead us to have a heart full of joy and a heart full of confidence and a heart full of faith to know that God is with you and to not take it for granted. You know, I um, uh, last year, I got to uh, go out to Arizona, went to Arizona, Utah, and Nevada, and, um, and saw all kinds of really, really cool stuff. And you get out there, especially in Arizona, and they've got all these rock formations, and there are all these different shades of red, and we pull up into Utah, and they've got just mountains everywhere, and you're just in awe. You're just driving down the interstate, going from town to town, and you're just looking around, and you're saying, this is, this is wild. This is awesome. Uh, and then you, you know, pull into a, a restaurant or something, and then you, you maybe talk to a local, and they're like, oh yeah, it's no big deal. Why? Because they've become accustomed to it. They, they've taken it for granted. It's like us with the beach. We go to the beach and we don't even, it's not even like a wondrous thing to go to the beach because we've been so many times. But you take the, the, the kid from Nebraska who's never seen the ocean and you take him out there and all he can see for miles and miles is blue and, and he's in awe. He's in wonder of, wow, this is, this is really cool. I feel like we take God for granted in the same way. We get so used to God's promises. We get so used to the fact that, oh, I know God is with me. I know the verses. You know, I know I've got Jesus with his disciples, and he commissions them, and he tells them, hey, I'm with you till the end of the age. And I, I get it. I know that. That's great. That's good. And it doesn't ever, like, fire us up. It doesn't ever, like, like put us in awe that God, the God of, that, of the universe who created all things is right there with you through every step of life, the bad times, the good times, the mediocre times, God is with you, and we should not take it for granted. But it's not just the Spirit of God that, that reminds us that God is near, but it's also God's Word. God's Word does this. 2 Timothy three sixteen through 17, all Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness, the man or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Man, the Bible is, is breathed out by God. It, it is God's words. It is holy. It is sacred. 
God gave people the words he wanted them to write, and they did it through God's Spirit. And because faithful men followed the Spirit of God, the Bible is for us, and it's useful. It's useful. It's not just words on a page. Look at what the author of Hebrews said. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Man, we have the word of God actually present. And again, not only do we take God's spirit for granted a lot, but we take God's word for granted a lot, right? I mean, think about it. If, if to know God more, all we had to do is read God's word, why are we not reading God's word? Why do we not know it? Why do we, you know, um, uh, the, the author, I think it's Deuteronomy, he says, listen, when, you're, when your kids go wake up, when they're going, when they're going to bed, you teach them the word of God as they are just going throughout their day. And, and, and the most important thing that the, that the law was trying to say there was God's words are important. So teach them over and over. And I feel like whether it's parents not teaching their kids or whether we aren't teaching ourselves, we, we've, we've drifted away from God's word. And we, we, we might even say something like, yeah, but I, you know, I spend 30 minutes a day in God's word. Great. You want a cookie? <laughs> like, you want a gold star? That's great. But listen, if God's word is the path to knowing God and, and, and doing what God has called us to do, man, we should be in the word all the time. This is why I'm a big fan of taking notes. I know that doesn't work for everybody. I know for some people it's like a huge distraction. Um, but I'm a huge fan of taking notes. I'm a huge fan of when you come to church to be ready to learn. I think a lot of people just come to church to go through the motions. I'm going to sing some songs. The pastor's going to speak, and I might hear some of it, you know. Um, but, and then I'm just going to go home. We're going to go out to lunch. Instead, as Christians, we should be like, man, I'm going to school today. I'm going there, and I'm going to learn something, and I'm going to take it, and I'm not just going to leave it at the church. I'm going to take it home with me, and I'm going to do some extra credit. I'm going to, I'm going to go back and reread it again, or I'm going to read it before the pastor. Like We're going through the book of Jonah. Man, let's be reading the book of Jonah just all week long. As that, that way, when we come on Sunday, we've got some context. We kind of know what the story is going, and then through the Spirit of God, our pastor can illuminate some things that maybe we missed along the way. Um, man, we should be in God's word all the time. And listen, I'm, I'm not saying that I'm great at it. <laughs> With entertainment and games and relationships and jobs and all the things that are going on in life, it's really hard to prioritize reading the Bible, no doubt about it. Not saying that that's something easy, but I am saying that it's something that we should be doing because God's word points us to God and reminds us that God is with us, that God is with us. So you and I know that God is with us because God's spirit uh, uh, cries out and, and, and points us to God, and the Bible points us to God and reminds us. Both of those things remind us that God is near. Number three, what does that mean for us? means that God draws near to us as we seek him. God draws near to us as we seek him. Look at what James writes in James chapter 4. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. 
Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. This is one of the most profound promises in Scripture. God is saying that, hey, if you want me there, come find me. Come find me. If we seek after God, God's not playing hide-and-seek with us. He's not saying, if you seek me, you might find me. No, if you seek me, you will find me. God is near but sometimes we don't feel like he is because we are not seeking after him. Um, we, we're not honestly and passionately pursuing God. Uh, we complain that he feels distant, but we haven't given a true effort at finding him. Man, we, we have to be seekers of God. I think a lot of times we don't seek God because um, we feel like we don't need God until crisis comes, right? Crisis comes, and I need God. Um, crisis comes, and there's a, a, there's a health issue, there's a family issue, there's a finance issue, there's a job issue, and uh, my life feels like it's falling apart, and I need God. And so people get on their knees, and they come to church, and they pray, and they read God's word, and they're trying to find out because they realize their need. But then God answers their prayer. He provides for them. He gets them back to a solid ground, and everything is pretty much going okay in, in their lives. And what do they do? I don't need God anymore. All that fervor I had because I know I needed God is out the window because now I can do it on my own. There's not a crisis. The point of Christianity is you're always in crisis. That's the point. The point of Christianity is you're always in crisis. And you're saying, what do I mean? What are you talking about? What I'm talking about is every day you and I have to wrestle with sin and our flesh and, 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 our, and really our selfishness. We want to be gods. We want to be in control. We want to make decisions. We want to do these things. And it's so easy. It's, it's so, so easy. I think about even, even serving at church. Like, I have done this and got up and taught thousands of times. <laughs> I could do this in my sleep. And the fact is, is that I'm working off a curriculum that has already done the research. It's already done the work. And I might put my spin on it and twist on it and, and add some different things to it. But man, I don't even have to do nothing. I can just stand up here and kind of go through and read some things to you and, and praise the Lord, right? But here's some things I cannot do. I, I cannot do anything with you. <laughs> I can't, I can't, make you be in the right spirit to hear it. I can't make you be in the right spirit to understand it. I can't make you change because of it. I can't do anything for you, right? There, I don't have any power other than to speak. That's all I can do. And, and it doesn't matter how flowery I speak. It doesn't matter how uh, um, great I speak. It doesn't matter how well I put together things and illustrations and all that different stuff. It doesn't matter unless God is there to do something with it. So what do I have to do, right? I have to go to God and say, God, I've done this a million times. There is, I can do this in my own strength. Like I can go through the motions of getting up in front of people because I'm not really scared to do that. And I, I can go through the motions of teaching the material because I'm not really scared to do that. I'm, I feel like I'm a pretty smart guy, so I got that. But I can't do anything to change the people. So God, I need you to do that. I need you to change the people. Same thing with when I get up and sing. Like, it's great to sing. 
And, and I might tickle your ear. I might even get some, like, hairs to stand up on your arm. You know, that's always my goal, right? Um, might even be able to do that, like, provoke some sort of emotion in you. I might be able to do that through a song, right? I can't change your heart. I can't bring you into worship. I can't do any of that. The Spirit of God has to do that. And so I have to go to God and say, God, I, I've been doing this for 12 years, I practice the songs. I know the songs. The words are on the screen for me. I've played it a bunch of times. This is easy. But if you don't show up, I can't do anything. And you might be thinking, okay, well, that's just church stuff. That's just, that's just, that's just church stuff. Because I think a lot of Christians feel like, like, I can handle my own finances, right? No big deal. I made the money. I'm pretty smart with it, so I can handle my own finances. I think a lot of Christians think that um, I can handle my marriage, like, that's going to be tough, and yeah, we're probably going to go through some stuff, but, you know, as long as we continue to love each other, we'll, we'll be fine. We'll make it. I think a lot of people think that with their kids, like, I, I can just figure it out on my own, and, and, and you know, yes, I'm going to fail, and I'm going to have to do this and that, um, or they, they don't even consider going to God about their jobs because it's what I want to do. Like, this is what I'm passionate about, or man, look at that pay increase, and they don't, even, they don't even think. They just say, boom, look at all the money. I'm going to that job. Or they think, oh, look at the position. Or, oh, look at the path I could take. Boom, I'm going to that job. And they never, they never actually seriously consider what God wants for their lives because they're on cruise control. They got it. They can, they can do their job. They can fake their marriage, fake their parenting. They can, you know, sort of manage their finances. You know, they've been doing it for a long time. We kind of got a, a, a routine and got it on lock, right? And I can just do all this stuff on my own. I don't need God for any of it. And if you were lost, I'd say, you're right. <laughs> do it on your own. But if you want to do things God's way, you are going to need God's help for everything, I mean, I, I think about marriage, and I'm, I'm not even a year in yet, and I have realized that this whole, like, sacrificially loving my wife thing, that doesn't come natural. <laughs> That's actually difficult. All these women complaining about submitting to their husbands, uh, and, and sure, that's difficult. No, don't get me wrong, I'm sure, but sacrificially loving my wife, that's tough, it's tough to sacrifice my time and my talents and my hobbies and my things for her. Or even my viewpoints. You know, it's, it's hard to sacrifice. I got to believe this for 35 years. And, and I'm just supposed to sacrifice that? I'm just supposed to, I'm just supposed to lay that down and, let, and go your way? You must be out of your mind, right? I don't want to do any of those things. Man, I am selfish to the core, and I want it to be Josh time all the time, Right? What I've realized is I've got to get to God and say, God, would you help me to love my wife? Would you help me to sacrifice? Would you help me to do it your way? Because everything within me says, I don't want to do that. I want to do it my way. And every time we get into a fight or an argument or a disagreement, it's because um, either I'm not sacrificially loving her or she's not submitting to me but through the Lord. When we don't do it God's way, Division happens, right? And we need help. We need to go to God. And I'm, I'm just thinking about, like, you know, raising kids. I'm so excited for Malachi to be here. We're, like, five weeks out or so. Uh, and I'm so excited. Uh, but, you know, one of the things that I've had to start praying for is God help me to love my son. And sure, I know that when he's here and I see him, some of that parental love will just kind of kick in. Like, you know, that, 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 that love that's just there. But I don't want just that. 
I, I want a love that comes from God, that God gives me the ability to love him greater than just some parental love that's, that's, that's within me, right? And as excited as I am, I'm also super nervous, you know, bringing a kid into the world. And what does that mean? What was, I mean, I've got to teach him. I've got to train him. I've got to make sure that he knows Jesus. I've got to make sure that, that he understands right from wrong. And in the culture we're living in, he's got to understand how the culture works and how, what God's word says against the culture. And it's a really big responsibility to be a parent. And so I can't do that on my own. I, there is no way I need God to, to intervene on my behalf and help me with those things. And we can go on and on and on about jobs, about relationships, about whatever. I can remember dating Courtney. And at least in, in my opinion, the second most important decision you ever make in your life is who you marry. Because it's forever. If you get it wrong, you're stuck, right? If you do it the right way, you're stuck. And so, man, my prayers were, God, is this the one? Is this the one that you have for me? And, and, and God had to answer in some pretty distinct ways so that I would be confident that this was the one that God had for me. But, man, a lot of times we just feel like I can do it on my own, but you can't. You cannot do it on your own. So what do we do? We have to seek after God. And the Bible says it over and over and over again. As we seek God, we will find him because he is near. He is near, even if you don't feel it. So seek after God. We come to the, uh, the end of all of this. Four weeks here in Exodus chapter 3, learning about God, understanding some of these characteristics about God and who he is. So what does that mean for us? Where do we go from here? We go back to the basics. We go back to the fundamentals. It's our job to know God. It's our job to pursue holiness. It's our job to seek Him and to find Him. That's your job. In fact, it's your main job. It takes precedent over what you do with your family. It takes precedent over what you do for a living. It takes precedent over all these different things. What, how are you seeking God? Are you going after? Are you pursuing holiness? Are you seeking him? Because we learned at the very beginning, God wants you to know him. Man, God is not trying to put roadblocks in front of you. He wants to know you. He wants you to have a relationship with him. He wants you to have a heart full of joy. He wants you to be on mission and on task for him. God wants the very, very best for your life. I mean, think about it. If you've ever had kids, you want the best for them, and God wants even more than that for you. I mean, if we would just follow him and seek him and seek to know him, God would change your heart. He would change your life. He would change your family. He would change this community. He would change the world if God's people would buckle down and get to know him. And that's your challenge. That's my challenge is not, don't let it end here, August 4th. Let's keep it going. Keep being in God's word. Keep coming to church ready to learn. Keep, keep fighting to know who God is so God can work through you and change the world through you. Let's pray.